The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. So I debated um, quite a bit how to start this sermon. Um, preaching professors tell you you need to have a good introduction. It's so important, right? Um, so, so many ways I could have started. I ha- am deciding to start this sermon uh, by insulting you. So my <laughs> preaching professor is going to love this one. Um, start off by, by insulting you. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to start off by bringing out a tendency that I see in myself, a tendency I see in... Um, in our community and in our church, a tendency I see in so many ways just all throughout our community and in, in the American church. Here's the tendency. We love new things. We love what is new and what is novel. We live in a new and improved culture and society. Um, why do you have the old car when the new one's out? Why do you have the, oh, this one will get you. Like, why do you want the old one when the new one's coming out, right? And it comes out, like, all the time, and then this is just useless. And, and why is that? Why is it that we feel like this that was useful last month is now useless because a new and shiny one came out? Why is that? Because we live in a society of advancement. We live in a culture that the technology of yesterday is outdated tomorrow, we're used to this. It has shaped us. The, the, the old phone has been replaced with a newer model. We are conditioned for this. We are conditioned for this, and, and we are used to progression, to progress. We, um, I would argue that this shaping has gone way beyond this, that we are being shaped by this Love and infatuation with new in ways that are much bigger than the phone that you purchase. This has shaped us. In a progressive culture, and, and, and hear me, when I say progressive, I'm not talking about a political category, although that, that certainly comes out of this. When I talk about progressive culture, I'm talking about a culture that is, is obsessed with movement forward. Progressive. In a, in a progressive culture, um, there's really two deadly assumptions that a progressive culture gets built upon. Uh, and I want to share these just as we get started. That's not it. <laughs> That's definitely not it. Give me the thumbs up. I mean, I could, we could wait for the countdown to get there. Um, I'm just going to go for it while they figure this out. Deadly assumption, assumption number one is right here. Deadly assumption number one is that all that is new is good. All that is new is good. It is a new and improved culture. We're progressing from good to better to even better to even, even better and so forth and so on. What is new is good. We are progressing, never regressing. Progressing forward new is good. Deadly assumption number one. Deadly assumption number two is similar. All that is old is bad. Maybe that's not fair. 
Maybe it's not bad, it's just not as good. It's just not as shiny and new. It's, it's not, it's outdated, needs updating. And, and why stay with the old when there is the new? All that is old is, is bad. Now, you're hearing this and you might be thinking, why does any of this matter? We're not here to buy a phone. What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, listen, I unfortunately have seen the way. This has shaped the way we approach our faith the way we approach the gospel, the way we approach church, the way that we approach spirituality, this has had a massive impact. Let me show you one more thing. Um, I told you I was going to start off by insulting you. I'm going to call you a snob, okay? So there's the insult, boom. Um, actually, I'm going to let C.S. Lewis call you a snob. Um, here is, is what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Such an incredible term here. Chronological snobbery is the worldview that the thinking, art, or science of an earlier time is inherently inferior to that of the present, simply by virtue of its temporal priority. To push this a bit further, he continues, the belief that since civilization has advanced in certain areas... You might never say this, but you might think it. That people of earlier periods were just they were less intelligent. We have progressed. We have moved. Um, listen, this morning, as we get to our text, we are dealing specifically with an issue in the church between the Jewish and Gentiles in this church. We are dealing with... The, the conflict that arose and God's big and beautiful and wonderful plan that was unfolding through it all. Um, and it's possible for us to get to a text like this and to think, great, okay, cool. I, I get it. We got it. Let's move on. Let's, let's move on. I don't really struggle with this issue, so preach it, and then let's get on. Romans 12 is coming, and it's awesome. Like, move. <laughs> but I want you to hear me. This matters deeply. This matters deeply, and um, I'm going to give away the whole point of the sermon this morning, just all of it right up front. As a follower of Jesus, as the church today, 2021, here it is, you are connected to something bigger and deeper than yourself. As the church today... 2021, we are deeply rooted together into something ancient, to a faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We are deeply rooted. We link arms with brothers and sisters who have come before us. We were building the same house. Our foundation is the same. We have roots deeper than ourselves. So, um, as we come to a text like this, I'm also reminded um, we just moved into a, a new home. And I'm so grateful and exhausted and feel old and my back hurts, but we're in. And uh, as I was praying and study this, this week, I looked out my window and there's these new trees that are in my front yard. And you know the ones, if you've ever seen a new neighborhood, they're about as big as my pinky. <laughs> They get put in the ground, and there's, like, bars that hold them up. Why is that? 
because there's no chance they're being held up otherwise. Their roots go about that deep, and then it's rock in our community. This is, this is where we live. Um, for, for some of us, as, as we come to spirituality, we approach it a bit like those trees. There's just no roots. Others of you come from neighborhoods with big old... I, I, I was going to do this, but we are in Texas. Even the biggest ones are like this, but big old <laughs> trees um, that go deep and they stay and they grow. And um, As we approach spirituality so often, the question we need to be asking is, what is the root structure? What are we in? The, 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 the reality is, my little trees are vulnerable. They might not even make it. I hope they do. Um, and, and one more thing here is that new and improved, this whole new and improved. Church, it's a sales tactic to keep you buying new things. The gospel is not about a sales tactic to keep you coming for new things, to look for new things. So my encouragement is to all of you chronological snobs that we put that down and that we come to this and, and that we get to look at our roots here today. So with that said, we are going to start in verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. I'm going to stop here for a little bit. Um, I am not a gardener at all. I married one. I am not one. Uh, and this whole idea of grafting blew my mind. I, like this is so, I did not know, did not know this. But, but grafting um, if you're like me and not gardening, um, what grafting is is literally you, you take a branch completely foreign to the tree. There's a notch cut in the tree. It gets put in and secured there firmly. And, and over time, the nutrients from the root of that tree will start to enter into the grafted branch. And like magic... It becomes one. It, it, it grafts together. That is insane. Like, that is just incredible. It, and the imagery here is just, it's incredible. We have this imagery of a tree with branches falling off. We have these wild olive shoots that are being literally taken in and grafted into, into the tree. And the metaphor here is, is so vivid. Here, let's do some identifications. We have a tree, the olive tree. This tree specifically is, as Paul, as we've been walking through this, is the people of God. Specifically, in this context, looking back at the Jewish people, the people of Israel. We have the roots. Here in this context, Paul is driving us back to see the roots as the promises of God that go all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12. Just go all the way back deep, the work of God through Moses, the prophets, the roots of God's faithfulness to his people, they go deep. By the way, why do you think it is that the Bible tells us to remember so much? It's because there's a lot to remember, a lot to remember. 
And then we have these branches falling off. These branches are, as we've talked about in the previous weeks, the, the Jewish people who did not believe in Jesus, who are trusting in their ethnicity or their works instead of faith in Jesus. And, and these branches, Paul says here, are falling off the tree. Then, finally, we have the wild olive shoot. This is the Gentiles. Um, wild olive shoots just being grafted into the one tree, the, the tree of God, God's people. So we see this, and then right in the midst of this imagery, Paul, verse 18, is going to give us the imperative. He says, do not be arrogant. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Do not be, ar- do not be snobs. This is the call to the Gentiles who are the wild olive shoots being grafted in. Paul says, look, guys, don't you dare be snobs. Don't be, don't be arrogant snobs. Don't. Stop it. Then he continues. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. What a powerful reminder that is. Paul says, remember the tree that you are being grafted into. We've talked about this every week, but all throughout Romans, we know God has one plan. He does not have a plan B. It wasn't like plan A, he put the tree in and it looked gross. Get it out. Plant another one. Plan B. That's not what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is one tree, one root system, one people. And as Gentiles in the New Testament church, we are not a new thing. We are not a separate, better, new and improved thing. We are not reinventing ourselves. We are not a new tree. Paul says, you're supported by the root, the same root of the same tree. And by the way, I gotta just point out something. Why is it that as the New Testament church, we preach all of this, New and Old Testament? Because this tells us about our whole root system, our whole root structure. If we're the new plan, take you know, one-fourth out of this and leave the rest. But God has given us this to show us our entire root system and how we are founded and rooted into it. Verse 19. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. Amen. This is us. Then Paul says they were broken off because of their unbelief. But listen to the contrast here. Listen to the command to you and to me this morning. Paul says, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. But fear. Stand fast through faith because this is, a, this is a tree of faith and we are connected to the roots by faith and we're a part of this tree, the family of God by faith. So stand fast in the faith and do not become proud, but fear. Again, Paul is pointing right back to pride, arrogance. I love the word snobbery. He's pointing back to it. He's pointing it, back, pointing it out again. And, and he's... Look, God, they, they rejected. They didn't listen. They, they, look, you have 
you gave them all these laws and customs, but now, God, we know better. We are the tree 2.0. We don't need any of those things. We have the new way. We have the improved way. And to this, and Paul and C.S. Lewis both look at you, call out the pride and arrogance and snobbery. And Paul says, gives us an alternative. Not pride, but what does he say? Fear. Fear. This is, an, this is a word that I think deserves some attention. When we think of fear, we think of terror. We think of scary. We think of Halloween. We think of being afraid, right? That's what typically we think of. And then we come to Scripture, and we see repeated all throughout Scripture this command to fear the Lord. And we think, what on earth that, that we're called over and over to fear the Lord? Are we called to be scared of him? Are we called to be afraid of him? Are we called to terror? No. This word, this command to fear the Lord, is, is a call to a specific sense of respect and reverence and awe and submission before the Lord. It, it's, it's to come before the Lord in awe and reverence and to say, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. It's submitting to the Lord. That is fear. So in so many ways, the idea of fear is the opposite of pride. In so many ways, the, the opposite of fear is, is pride. Paul says, put down the arrogance, the pride, the snobbery, and come with respect and reverence and awe and submission. Do not become proud, he says, but fear. And then verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Let's take a, let's take a breath here. This is not an empty threat. This is not threat language at all. This is a stern and somber reminder that those branches that are falling off the tree are falling off because they do not believe in Jesus. But in themselves, but in their works and how good they are. In other words, in a real sense, it's pride getting pruned off this tree. It's pride getting pruned off of this tree. So Paul says, church, stand strong in, fear, in faith and in fear, not pride, not arrogance, not snobbery. And then Paul brings out this word that bothers me, severity. Did that word bother you when you read this? Severity. Um, it's a tough word, and especially when you take it out of context. Um, the word severity in your translation might be harshness or harsh. Um, it, it might be stern. Guess how many times this word is used in the Bible? Two times. Guess where? Both in our verse. It's a very rare word. It's a very rare word that's only used here, and it is a word, I need you to follow me here. This is huge. That points to the holiness of God. I want you to think about it like this. Think about it like a judge. A judge's responsibility is what? To make fair and just judgments, right? That's what the judge is there to do. If there was a crime in your community, the judge would be the one with the responsibility to make just judgments 
over what has happened and what needs to happen next in response to what has happened. That's what a judge does. Now, if a judge were to look at someone who committed a crime right here, and he were to look at them and say, you know, I know you committed the crime, but I'm just feeling good today. I'm in a really good mood. And and you know what? I'm going to sweep that one under the rug. I'm just going to sweep that one under the rug. Don't worry about it. Go free and have a good day. Right? If you're that criminal, if you're the one who did it, you probably think, well, that's pretty awesome. This judge is great. But if you live in that community, you don't think that. That is not awesome. And everything in us cries out for justice. If you're the victim, that is not awesome. If you're the victim's family, that is certainly not awesome. Everything in us cries out for justice. That judge would not be a just God and, or just judge, and you wouldn't want him judging in our community. And here in this verse, Paul is reminding us that our God is not like that. Not like that judge. Our God does not sweep sin under the rug because he's in a good mood that day. He is perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly righteous, perfectly all the time, perfectly. And, and the point of the gospel is no, it's never, hey, come to Jesus, because in Jesus, he forgets everything we've done, and we are all good to go. Like, no, no consequences if you come to Jesus. That is not the gospel at all. In Jesus, your God does not sweep sin under the rug. That is not the gospel. The point of the gospel is that your debt has been paid in full. Paid in full by the work, the life, the death of Jesus Christ. It is in Christ that our God is the just justifier. And that is incredible. It is only in Jesus. In the same way you don't want a judge in your community sweeping crimes under the rug, you also do not want a God who is sweeping evil and sin under the rug. You do not want that. And in our God is so severe against sin that every evil will be accounted for. And as someone who finds in myself crying out for justice when I see broken things in the world, when I see things aren't the way they should, when I see people getting abused, when I see people getting mistreated, when I see bad things happening, and my heart cries out for justice, it's only in Jesus that all of those cries for justice will be satisfied. That's what it means that our God's severe. Severe against unbelief. He's severe because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and only in Christ can we know the kindness and the justice of our God. And here, even here, we see God's miraculous grace. We got to continue a little bit further before we can't for a second. Verse 23, and even they, if they do, they being the broken off branches, if they, don't continue, uh, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. What? 
And if you were cut off by what, by what is by nature an olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Listen, I am not a gardener. Have I said that? <laughs> Even I know that that is insane. Like when a branch is dead and falls off, no gardener goes, oh, take that, graft it put it back in. Why is that? Because it's dead. It's dead. You don't graft dead things, right? You're going to have to tell me. Am I right? I'm not a gardener. Okay. Um, you don't graft back in dead things. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. This is where the gospel meets us and reminds us that God does miracles. Because the gospel is all about resurrection, about dead things coming to life. This is why my favorite scripture, and you're probably sick of me quoting this if you've been here for any amount of time, Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses in sin. Dead like the dead branch on the yard. Dead. But God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You have been grafted into the tree, brothers and sisters. Grafted in, made alive through Jesus. Paul says, by grace you have been saved and, 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 and listen, raised us up with him, seated with us with him in heavenly places in Jesus so that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace. We're gonna talk about that next week. Um, in kindness toward us in Jesus. There's that kindness again. It's the same thing. Taking dead things, resurrecting them, grafting them in. By grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God, not the result of your work, so that no one may boast. This is why Paul looks at the Gentiles and says, stop it. Drop the pride. Drop the pride. Drop the arrogance. Drop the snobbery. Drop it. And instead, remember that you too were dead, and you too were made alive by grace through faith. One more verse in Ephesians, and then I promise I will move. Verse 12, remember, Gentiles, that at one time you were separated from Christ. Remember that you were alienated from the commonwealth, that tree of Israel. You were alienated from it. You were strangers from it. You were strangers of the covenant of promise. Remember that was you, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember, you were once not a part of the tree. But now in Christ Jesus, verse 13 says... You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Grafted in. Thank Grafted in. Paul's reminding us of the truth of the gospel that no matter who we are, where we come from, you're saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. And what place does arrogance have in that? How could arrogance even fit in this? So here's what I want to do. I want to bring us back to where we started um, at the beginning. Um, Chances are you don't stay up at night tossing and turning, wondering about how the Jewish and Gentiles brothers are going to get along and circumcision and <laughs> sacrifices. And chances are that's not you. I don't want to rush past this, though. That was them. But it's not you. It's not, it's not our main struggle today. But I would argue that our struggle today 
comes from the very same, the very same place. Um, here's what I see. We are a highly individualistic, postmodern society whose spirituality is rootless. We are a highly individualistic, postmodern society whose spirituality is rootless. And largely, the evangelical church has made it worse, has added to this. These are big words and big accusations. Let me define them. First, highly individualistic. Highly individualistic. We are obsessed with individuality. We're obsessed with it. You need to find you, be you, find, find, you know, express yourself and your experiences in the world. Here's the deal. The church has added to this highly individualistic thing. We talk about salvation as your, your personal thing where Jesus comes into your personal heart and you don't need anyone else. That would have been so foreign to church history. Let me just tell you that. The reason I can even say that and you go, yeah, that sounds right, is because we are in a highly individualistic society. We have added to this. All I need is me, myself, and Jesus, and the church has become a place that you can come, get filled up. If that works for you, if you need that, come, get filled up. It'll be, it'll be good. And as the church, what we've done is tried to target our ministries to be as engaging as possible, to, to slick performances so that you can come and consume because that's what individuals need. Church, in other words, becomes a highly consumeristic endeavor in an individualistic worldview. You just need what you need to do right now. Do what's right for you. Individualistic. Let's go to postmodern. Um, postmodern is what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. A postmodern worldview leads you to believe that it's up to you to construct what truth is for you. It's, it's our own view. It's our own reality. Because in a postmodern worldview, your individualistic perspective is what really matters. You need to define your truth, right? Postmodern. Now, um, the church... <laughs> One of my pet peeves has added to this. We add to it when we have Bible studies. And when we ask, the first thing we ask is, what does this say to you? <laughs> don't, hear me, don't get me wrong. I love when you ask, what is the Bible saying to you? That's great. How does it apply? That is great. That, that is wonderful. But I'm far more concerned with asking, what does it actually say? Then, how can we apply what it says. We have added to this. Now it's, it's, it's not, I'm more concerned, it's not my truth, but, but what is the truth? What is God's truth? And that's what I want to apply. So individualistic, postmodern, and then the last one, which has led us to a spirituality that is rootless. When we believe that everything revolves around us, that's a terrible place to be. When we believe Everything revolves around us. We have to define our own perspective, define our own truth. Um, here's the deal. Our roots don't go any deeper than you. 
That is an incredibly dangerous place to be, and it's incredibly sad. When it comes to spirituality, it leads us to be rootless. No connection. We're like a dead branch laying in my yard, which I hope I won't see a lot of. We're like a dead branch, just laying there with no roots. You might hear this and think, okay, pastor, I get it. You're painting a pretty bleak picture, though. Here, can you back off the throttle? Um, Listen, this is the state of our culture when it comes to spirituality. And, And what this has done is it's caused us to be blown back and forth by new trends. Whatever the wind blows in that day, we're just tossed and we're we're looking for the next new thing, the next new method, the next new self-help, the next new thing with all of its promises. And again, I want to tell you, the church has tended to add or to fuel this as we, the church, seem to be obsessed with finding new things, new ways to fix these. What's the new trend? Let's jump on it. We build churches that are based on the popular opinion. That is a new trend. We, we follow. We are fads. They come and they go. And the church has been, in some ways, far more concerned with the new and the improved than with the ancient roots. And I firmly believe, I mean this, I firmly believe that if we want to reach the next generation with the gospel, It's not going to be because we are good at creating new and shiny things and trends. It's not going to be because we're trendy. It's not going to be because we're cool and cutting edge. We have seen the church try that. It has not worked. I believe that if we are going to reach the next generation with the gospel, it's going to be because we can look them in the eye and show them that there are roots here. You know how exhausting it is to get blown from side to side every day of your life? And we here as the church get the opportunity and the joy to say, look at the roots. Look at the roots. Again, I will bring this this back to what I was saying. Why does the Bible call us to remember so much? Why do we take communion every week and we always use the word remember, remember, remember? Why? The reason why is because we believe the pathway forward is not the new and novel. But our pathway forward is to remember. To remember our root. I started off by insulting you and calling you a chronological snob. Uh, And then I said it was going to be a text of hope. So let me bring this around and give you a little hope. All right. Um, I want to share this with you. This is our story. I'm going to share something with you, and this is, if you're in Christ, this is your story. And I want you to follow with me, okay? Follow with me. I won't keep us here all day. I promise you. Our God created all things out of nothing. Our God created everything by his word and for his glory. He created humankind in his image. But we, humanity, chose sin, pride. We thought we knew better than our created, creator. 
Sin entered the world, brokenness, and from this point forward, we now live in a fallen world. But God has not left us. Even in our sin, his mercy and grace is more. His love was demonstrated, and even in that moment, there was a plan to reconcile us to himself. This is our story. We went our way. And God called a man, gave Abraham a promise that he would call a people to himself, that he would bring salvation, that he would bless the world through him. This is our story. God provided again and again and again and again and again for his people, delivering them again and again, delivering them through Moses, giving them the law, making them his people, giving them a new identity, distinct from the world, holy and set apart. This is our story. He made them a nation. He walked with them, defended them, strengthened them, provided for them. He rebuked them. He disciplined them. He showed his love for them. He sent prophets to them. He provided kings for them. He told them how they were to worship him, and he spoke to them, and he revealed himself to them. This is our story. Even when they went astray, When they forgot who they were, forgot their God, God did not abandon them. Church, this is our story. In the fullness of time, the perfect moment, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, born of the line of Abraham, back to that root. This is our story. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve. He took the sin of his people on his shoulders, church. This is our story. He suffered, he died, was buried, he rose. He conquered not only his death, but death itself. This is our story. Before he ascended to the Father, he called his people to them, and he gave them this command to go, make disciples, teach them, baptize them. And he promised all the way, I will be with you as you go. And then he went. He ascended. This is our story. Shortly after, his people were gathered together, and Jesus, shouldn't be surprising, did exactly what he said he was going to do. And in this moment, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit indwells his people. This is our story. And it didn't end there. It didn't end there because shortly after, not just among the Jewish people, but in the house of Cornelius, we had a bunch of Gentiles gathered, and guess what? Holy Spirit indwells. This is our story. This is our story. The gospel spreads. The church spreads. Churches are planted. More communities are reached by the gospel. This is our story. The apostles and the early church fathers, they defend our faith. They write creeds that seek to defend the faith for you. They define what they believe about Jesus, the God-man, the Trinity, the church, salvation, church. This is our story. The church has stood, endured through the ages, spread across different continents, across the known world, eastern and western. We have often stumbled. We have been far from perfect. We have gotten it wrong multiple times. 
God is faithful and his grace is sufficient and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. This is our story. We have gone through reformation. We have gone through persecution like we would not believe. We have gone through revival. The gospel has spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world, to the new world, to America, to Texas, to San Antonio. This is our story. We planted this church in 2015 and do not think for a minute that we should be more concerned about with what the next greatest thing is going to be than we are with this. This is our story. This morning, God is calling you, but he's not just calling you to himself. He's calling you to a bigger story than you, deeper roots than you. He's calling you into a tree that is bigger than your little branch. He's calling you to be grafted into a healthy root that is not vulnerable. My fear today is that we have a lot of passionate Christians who have no idea about their roots. No idea. My fear today is that we can be passionate Christians just be tossed to and fro. Here's my prayer. My hope is that we here are a people who remember. That we are a people called to our root. Now, I want to close with this. I have a picture on the wall of my office um, by an artist named Scott Erickson. And uh, this is one of them that I have on my, my wall. Uh, and the caption of this is, it's called Identity Rooted. Identity Rooted. Um, and I love this. This is who we are, church. This is who we are. The, the caption of this work is Christ the giver and grower of our lives. That's just awesome. And I want to end with this because it's such a beautiful imagery of who we are as God, God's people and a beautiful picture of this verse that we are deeply rooted, rooted in Christ. That we're a people growing up, growing up his people, one tree, one people, growing up into Christ, who is our foundation, our sanctification, our glorification. This is Jesus. And so our call this morning is to be grafted in, to be called into a story that is so much bigger than you, to a root system that goes deeper than you, to a place where you're not the center of the universe. Your shoulders weren't meant to carry that to a place where we can lay down our pride, our arrogance, and our snobbery and come to the Lord in fear to be grafted in by grace alone, through faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone. Amen.